Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Hey, this is Miriam. Welcome to Apparently Speaking, your podcast for all things parenting. Many people think that families become less important to children as they become teenagers, but your child needs your family and support as much as they did when they were younger. Research shows that parental involvement is a major influence in helping teens avoid risks such as smoking, drinking, drug use, sexual activity, violence, and suicide attempts. Significant differences were found for teens who reported feeling close to their mother and or father and those who did not. Your teens still need you and want you to be involved in their life, even though at times they they may communicate otherwise. My guest today is going to share what she's learned about today's youth and the struggles they face in our current culture. This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. This episode is also sponsored by Ohio Tuition Trust, helping Ohioans save for college. Learn more at collegeadvantage.com. Tessa Stuckey is a licensed professional counselor, mom, author, and speaker. She has a deep interest in human interaction and general relationships. As a therapist working with teenagers, she's decided to take on parenting from a new perspective, that of actively parenting today to protect your family's future. She provides motivation and hope for families across the nation by helping to navigate through the world of technology, social media pressure, and lost connection. Tessa and her husband, Joseph, live in Houston, Texas, where they are actively raising their four sons and continuing the fight against today's culture effects. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm very glad that you're here. We were talking before, like, how did this week, how did we connect, you know, talking about connection and uh, so so I have, you know, that love hate with social media. And that was one of the things I couldn't remember exactly, but something that you posted, I found you on social media and it kind of caught my eye um, because this would be right up my alley, your connection and work with teens and then reach out to you and then here we are. So that (laughs) was perfect. Um, and I did read your book for the sake of our youth, and I really loved it. It's just jam-packed with a lot of great information. I think, you know, your background, I found it interesting that you're raised by two psychologists yourself, <laughs> right? And you talked about how, you know, you, and it's, we always think like, I'm never going to do that. You know? right. Yeah. And then of course, here you are, which is great. And you have four boys and you've just worked extensively with teens. A couple of quotes before we kind of get into it that, kind of stuck out to me in the beginning of your book and in the intro, you just said parents today are more disconnected from their children than ever before. Mm-hmm. And the distance is caused by confused teenagers and fearful parents. And that really kind of stuck with me. Like, that's sad, you know, to think we're more disconnected. It doesn't surprise me, I think, because I think of technology yeah. and um, mm-hmm. all of that, you know, playing a factor, playing a role in that for sure. But what, what made you, so we'll talk about that, but what made you write um, for the sake of our youth? So I began working as a therapist, working primarily with teenagers. And at the time, this was about five or six years ago. And at that time, my community was experiencing what's called a suicide cluster. And there were six girls, high school girls, who had ended their life by suicide within a year and a half span. And these were all, these were all clients that were coming to me expressing some of those same thoughts, but they weren't fitting into what someone 
we might think would look like that has suicidal thinking. And so I got really confused. I work in my hometown that I grew up in. I got really confused. It had been less than 10 years since I had graduated high school when this was happening. And I just thought something is like in the water or something is in the air. Like what in the world is happening that teenagers hearts and and minds and souls are suffering so much that suicide rates are just skyrocketing. And so I decided to go on, you know, I have, like you said, I have four kids and I just became super fearful that I'm raising my kids in this same culture. And so I decided to go on this big research journey to figure out what was going on. And I found six cultural influences affecting youth today that any any kid is susceptible to. It's not just someone who might suffer from a mental illness. It is a mental health epidemic, not just a mental illness thing. And and I just felt very pulled to spread this information to other parents around the world. My job has done me so much advantage because I learn a lot from teenagers at work and then I can turn around and think about how I want to parent my kids differently and my kids are still fairly young and so I'm able to adjust my parenting um, accordingly to what's going on in our culture and I felt pulled to share that with other parents as well. Well, I'm really glad that you did, and you know, I want to talk to you about um, those six, those six um, influences. What you mentioned just now, mental health and versus mental illness, and that kind of kind of grabbed my attention a little bit. So, what's the difference? So, everybody has mental health, just like we all have physical health. So that is, you know, how we think and how we manage our emotions. Mental illness is what we consider to be the stuff that, you know, the chemical imbalance in our brain that makes it hard for us to be mental health, mentally healthy. So depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, PTSD, all of those things, um, and, uh, you know, severe anxiety, all of those things are going to make it harder for us to have mentally healthy mindsets, but it definitely is not, you know, a, Yeah. I mean, we can definitely learn how to work with it. We all have different brain chemistry. And so our mental health is how we are doing emotionally and how we manage our emotions. So we all have mental health. We don't all have mental illness. Okay. Well, that's good. That's helpful. I think that's probably helpful for a lot of people listening. And so our mental health, just like, you know, someone might say, take care of your physical health, Mm -hmm. take care of your mental health as well. And these six influences, these can affect our kids' mental health, yes. right? Yes, they yeah. are affecting our kids' mental health. They are affecting it. That's, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said. That. I'm glad you made that correction. Yeah, they are affecting it. So, as parents, you know, we would figure out or try to with you know, and I know you discussed that in the book in the second part. You know, well, then what can we do about it mm-hmm. if these things are affecting their health? How can we minimize it or you know make sure it's not going to be too detrimental, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the six, let's just talk about them if you're willing or, or however many we get to yeah. um, a little bit. I know the first one, um, a glorified option. Yeah. So because it's happening now more than ever, it's going to be talked about now more than ever. It's on the table as an option. And unfortunately with social media, um, it's been glorified in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there was the Netflix show and that 
glorified it and romanticized it. And it creates this fantasy that when you are gone, you get to experience and see everyone missing you. And the truth of the matter is, is that's just a fantasy. We don't actually get to see anybody missing us. And I had clients that would say things like, I just want to see who's going to come to my funeral. You know, very serious thought that they were having. And and I had to really kind of keep it together and, and not, you know, react too much, but but be firm with them and let them know you won't get to see who comes to your funeral. There's a finality that comes with suicide and you have to be aware of that. And unfortunately, with the lack of development in the prefrontal cortex, it's really hard for kids to be aware of that, you know, logistical thinking and, and reality of it. You mentioned, you know, that show, and I know there are several shows and, and um, even, you know, shows geared toward kids and even adults, but right, the ones geared toward kids, it's kind of like the kids then can become just desensitized to it in a way. Like it's not, you know, it happens so much or well, it's, they have it on this show. It wasn't that big a deal. Everybody kind of, you know, went on with their life and it's just kind of like that. It's, it's just kind of normal. Yes. Yeah. I found in my research that there is a 100% chance that all kids growing up today, no matter race, no matter gender, no matter location, will lose a friend to suicide by the time they graduate high school. That's really sad and just crazy to think about, you know, because I, I think even when I was in school, if you heard about that, it was like, a big deal. What? Whoa. Yeah. You know, like it was just like, it was, and now it's obviously horrendous, you know, if I hear about, but it's not even, you know, we've become desensitized to it. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. And sad, but it's not as shocking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So think about kids. Yeah. Um, and then you have immediate gratification. Right. So um, I would say the two biggest ones that I try to stress to families is, um, the immediate gratification, our kids are growing up in a world where everything is instant from, you know, we had to, uh, take pictures on a roll of film and go get it developed. Remember <laughs> back in the Oh yeah. I hate to say I do, but yes, I do. <laughs> and then when it became the one hour, that was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So that whole process could take, I mean, if you were anything like me and I would like lose my rolls of film, um, that could take months to see a um, and that whole process now takes a couple of seconds. And so it's little examples like that. And um, what's happening with immediate gratifications and our kids living in a world full of convenience is that they don't know how to build resilience and struggle through typical hardships, you know. And so then when they reach those wonderful hormonal years that we love so much, they get hit pretty hard with some real, real emotions, real deep emotions that they don't know how to regulate. They don't know how to struggle through because they've lived in a world where everything has been kind of a bandaid has been placed on all their struggles or fixed for them through um, distraction on YouTube or TikTok or Netflix or whatever it was that um, they kind of masked whatever they needed to struggle through. And do you think that parents today are kind of fixing too many things yeah. for their kids too? Have you heard of a lawnmower parent? Yeah. <laughs> that is, for anyone listening, a lawnmower parent is the uh, the 
typical parent that we're seeing today where you just smooth out the course so that there are no obstacles, no hurdles, no struggles for your child. And it starts at a super young age and it's actually depriving our kids of learning how to, you know, build some of that strength and resilience needed to get through this thing called life and to be independent. Um, So yes, I'm seeing an astronomical amount of parents who have a hard time sitting in the discomfort. I mean, it's hard to watch our kids struggle. It's hard to watch them emotional and sad. Um, but when we step in and, and fix their problems, uh, we're doing them a pretty big disservice. So uh, yeah, a big amount of parents who are staying in that fixer role and not gradually morphing into the supportive role. Right. And doing it with, you know, good intentions. You want, like you said, it's hard to see your kids struggle. You want to help them. You think, well, I'm the parent. I should help. But it's too much. And then, like you said, they're not learning that, you know, resilience, not learning how to do that. I, I, one of my favorite quotes I posted on social media a while ago, I'll probably mess it up now, but it was like, don't um, pave, you know, instead of paving the road, don't pave the road for your child, pave your child for the road. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it's like, if you think about it, it's like, yeah, because sometimes you can get into this, you know, just orchestrating everything, you know, trying to get everything set and smooth, you know, for your child. But then when the bump comes, they're not able to handle it. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about um, the rest of these and we'll be right back. So dad, what do you know about saving for college? Enough to be dangerous. Something about the start of the school year, I just get a little freaked out that we're not getting anywhere. Our savings account earns nothing. You had Ohio's 529 plan. Wait, I had one? You did. How are your student loan payments coming? I don't have student loan payments. (laughs) No, you don't. Tax-free, accepted nationwide. See why Ohio's 529 plan is the plan that can at collegeadvantage.com. Okay, we are back talking with Tessa Stuckey, and we're talking about your six cultural influences that are affecting today's youth. You know, you're saying, I I think I might have misspoken, said can. It's like, no, they are. Mm -hmm. It's just we have to figure out how to, you know, minimize that and what to do as parents. And so this third one, um, I think is really, they're all important, but, you know, lack of personal connection. And I think that's, you know, obvious with all of the technology and the, the, you know, right at their disposal of what they have, but they definitely, um, I think kids, teens today do have that lack of personal connection. Yeah. And, you know, we've never seen people and even more so now because of COVID, um, we've never seen people so isolated and experiencing loneliness to this depth. And I don't know about you, but I've been lonely a time or two in my life, and it is not a fun experience. And when people, it is such a powerful emotion to be lonely. And a lot of times when people are lonely, their thoughts and judgment gets clouded. And, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier about kids' prefrontal cortex is it's not developed until the ages 25 to 28. And that is all their judgment, cognitive thinking already. So they're already lacking that brain development. And then you add in loneliness and there's a chance that they are going to have some dark, heavy thoughts that come with that. And so what I have seen is that while social media and technology, the intention with that a lot of times is to provide connection, it's almost playing a trick on us. It's giving us, um, 
very similar to what I was saying with immediate gratification. It's kind of putting that Band-Aid on and giving us connection in the moment. But what's happening within our brains is we are getting rushes of dopamine rather than the chemical of oxytocin. And oxytocin is the chemical that releases when we make true, deep, long-lasting connections with someone. And that happens face-to-face, making eye contact, physical touch. And if all of our kids are just staring at a screen, it's impossible for them to achieve that. Yeah. And I think you you even mentioned in the book, you know, kind of starts with babies, you know, and think about it. You know, we think it's easier. We'll just let them look at the screen, you know, (laughs) rather than having that connection or they're, they're upset, they're crying. So we're going to give them the screen. And obviously, you know, sometimes that's, you know, it's okay. You're not a bad parent if you're, if you do that sometimes, but you know, think about that and then how that just continues. I think that it's just become so easy to do that. And you know, I remember being, when I was a new mom and and, you know, going out to eat and my one-year-old would start to fuss and I would get flooded with overwhelming anxiety and emotions and, oh my gosh, the people in the restaurant are going to be annoyed with us or um, they're going to be judging me as a mom or I'm a bad mom because I can't soothe him. Oh my gosh. Okay. Look, let me get Mickey Mouse on my phone. And it worked. It's a, it, it feels like magic you know, and it calms the baby down. And then you get to sit there in peace and enjoy your meal and have a conversation with your spouse. However, in that moment, it is really creating um, that habit of disconnect and immediate gratification, but um, it, it, it creates that habit and that expectation. And it's really hard to get out of that. So I encourage parents from the get go to not lean on that. I know that there are times and places when we really want to make that exception. And we do, um, but there are going to be repercussions to that as well. And we got by, if you're, you know, I would, especially with my first daughter, we didn't you know, have that as much, you know, available, like when she was a baby. So we got by yeah. without it. You know what I mean? Yes. You, you maybe they were fussy in a restaurant or whatever, but yeah. I did, I, you know, things like that, but we, we did it, you know, <laughs> Yes. So it can be done. And, you know, our parents did it with us. So. Our parents didn't have any of that. Right. And so, right, it can be done. And so you can do it. What, you know? I, what I explain to parents is the convenience while they're little that comes with technology is not worth the heartache that you are headed for when they are, get a little bit older. Yeah, that's a great point <laughs> for sure. And you said, you know, disconnection leads to social anxiety. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of, and sometimes I think that's thrown around a little too much. You know, I have social anxiety and it's yep. like, I've said this before. It's like, no, you're just normal nerves or right. things like that are right. normal. But, um, you know, I can see where that disconnection can lead to that. Yeah. Social anxiety is on, on the rise for sure. Um, Kids have a hard time making eye contact. They have a hard time ordering their own food. They ha- they choose not to go be with their friends at outings. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, there were times I had anxiety going, especially socially going to a new thing. And But that's normal. Exactly. All of that is very typical. And that's part of your 
of your struggle to build that resilience and to um, learn how to get through those moments. But what I'm seeing is a lot of teenagers or preteens won't even push themselves to go. And that kind of goes back to the parents. I've seen a lot of parents that, you know, kind of say to them like, no, then don't go. And and they're kind of coddling them in that, that way too. Of course, there are um, cases that are much more extreme and, you know, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the typical natural process of learning how to deal with your anxiety that you experience when you're in social situations. Right. Even adults, if you are going to, you know, a party or an event and maybe you don't know many people, you don't know anyone, or you're going on a job interview or it's normal to have those feelings of like, you know, at first, but you push through and then, you know, same with the kids. It's like, once you go, once you're there or new school or whatever, it may be after a couple of weeks, you know, whatever it is, you're, it's going to be okay. You're going to feel better. But then the not going, the not doing it, you know, they're never going to, like you said, experience that. And then the next time it comes around, they're definitely not going to want to do it. They've not had any practice with that. Mm -hmm. Anything, any point of reference to say, the last time I was in the similar situation and it did turn out fine. Right. Exactly. I mean, nine times out of 10, you're glad you went. Right. And so you need that experience so that you can remind yourself of that. Right. Yeah. And remind yourself, I'm glad I went or whatever the situation was. It wasn't that big a deal and it right. was fine. So I can do it again. And I think that goes along with, too, what we were saying you know, earlier with the parents not wanting things to be hard. And like you said, well, it's OK. Don't go. Don't do it then if you don't feel comfortable. We want you to feel comfortable. Right. But it's like that's not that's doing them a disservice. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And then you talk about attention seeking, which is huge right now, I think, with yeah. social media. Right. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we've never seen so many selfies and, and we all do it, you know. Right. So, I mean, in a world where we're not feeling connected to people, we're going to find that we're going to seek attention more. And yeah. so, you know, attention is not a bad thing. And I, I know that there's a negative connotation with it. Um but attention is natural and normal and we want what I, I describe attention to really be is wanting to feel important and valued in this world. And that is those are good things. We want that. We need that in order to build confidence and motivation. And um, what I find with a lot of kids today and teenagers is that they are starving for attention to a level um, beyond just wanting to feel important and valued. And they are willing to, and this is not the case for every single teenager, but they are willing to go to the lengths of thinking about suicide or writing a suicide note. And a lot of times we sit there and go, Oh, he just did this for attention. And, you know, I always come back and say, okay, then he is hurting that badly that that's the point that he's at and he needs help even more so. So, you know, people have talked about suicide and self-harm for attention for a long time. That's not a new concept. It's just amplified and exaggerated today. Yeah. And that's a great thing to point out what you did. You know, I think some people get maybe annoyed if they're just trying to get attention. Right. And like you said, maybe we hope that's the, that, that, you know, they're not really going to do it. They just want attention. But like you said, well, then, you know, if they are hurting that badly, like you said, to do that, because that's not, you know, just something you would typically right. do to get attention, then, yeah, then they need help. They need yeah. that, atten- you know, so I think that was a great 
something great to point out because like I said, I think a lot of times it's kind of like, oh, they're just, you know. Right, or we don't need to pay attention and just kind of blow it off. But they need something then badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to take one more break, talk about the last couple, and then kind of some tips on what we can do then. Um, so we'll be right back. Hey, this is Miriam from Apparently Speaking. Join the Mazda family like I did at Montrose Mazda Kent. You'll love the selection of new and used cars and lease options. We are on our third car from Kent Mazda. We keep going back because of the ease of purchase, and it has been by far the best deal we could find each time. Montrose Mazda Kent, they go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. Okay. And the fifth one you talk about is social media. And obviously that's a huge issue. And you say that's created, you know, five big problems in our culture. So what about social media? So, I mean, a surefire way to get attention is social media, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so a lot of our kids have leaned on that and and adults too. And um, I found that it, it really has more harm than good. And, and, kind of what you and I were talking about is my biggest tip with social media is if you are not getting on to be productive, and that could mean checking on your sister in Nebraska who just had a baby or, you know, getting on to connect with someone for work or school. You know, if you're not getting on with some sort of productivity and purpose in mind, then you are going to feel the negative effects of social media. And the negative effects of social media include unrealistic comparisons, um, feeling unmotivated and like lazy because you've been wasting time on your phone scrolling mindlessly. Um, another one is being for, especially for teenagers, their, their social life does not turn off ever. You know, I remember in high school, if I didn't feel like dealing with anything dramatic, I just didn't answer the phone. (laughs) I didn't go out with friends on the weekend. But what's happening now is they can't escape it, even if they want to, unless they turn their social media off or block it. And and that to them seems really daunting and hard to do. Um, Another one is cyberbullying. You know, it's very real, very, very real. There's a lot of hurt people in this world and hurt people hurt people. And there are a lot of them behind screens who feel confident to say extremely hurtful things, but they would never say that to somebody's face. So there's a lot of of negatives that come with social media. Another one is exposure. Our kids are getting exposed to things. You know, I I don't know you know, how old you were when chat rooms came out. But I remember when AOL was a thing and there were chat rooms and my parents sat me down and they were very adamant about teaching me, don't go into any chat room and talk to strangers. And unfortunately, it's as if we are handing our kids just a big old chat room with their phones and they have um, people have access to our kids and they can send them inappropriate pictures Um I don't think I said this in my book. I can't remember, but you know, the average age for kids to see porn for the first time is eight years old. And that's because of, you know, social media and devices that they have access to YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat and, and it can create um, trauma for our kids. Yeah. I mean, that's eight years old. And that's just, oh, you know, think about that. And like you said, they just, they have these, devices and they have these things and and um they're just 
it just pops up, you know, it just, it just happens. You think, you know, a dangerous way of thinking is it wouldn't happen or I have these blocks on it or, you know, I know what they're doing on it, but you can't, you just can't all the time. Right. Right. You know, so, so yeah. And I think going back to something you were talking about, you know, the kids social lives being on their 24 seven and, you know, I've talked to several groups of kids, you know, um, and more, probably more so girls. I, that are more into seem from my experience, more into the social media. Mm-hmm. There are some boys obviously, but um, you know, where it's like, well, we want to do, you know, something, something, or we're doing this, but you know, we don't want someone to feel badly or whatever, because they're not with us. So we don't want them to know. And I'm like, well, they're, they're, it's coming from a good place, but I'm like, okay, well just don't post about it. Right. And they're like, well, we want to post a pic. And I'm like, right. what? Like, this is crazy to me. Like, it don't, I mean, don't it still happens if there's no post about it right right but, you know to them it's like no what do you mean don't we we want to be able to put a post about it right or it's this whole big you know if someone else or someone posted that and I didn't want the, uh, someone else to know that I was there or something it's just like oh my goodness it's exhausting but they really do believe that if we don't document this then you know we are missing a chance for attention the attention. You're right. And adults, I mean, I think adults can get caught up in that. So think about how easy, much easier it is for the, the teenagers to get caught up in that. Uh, exactly. If, if as adults, we can get caught up in that, then, you know, it's, it's already hard to be 13, 14, 15 years old. And then to add all of that with it, you know, it's, and you know, another thing is screen addiction. They become yeah. obsessed with it. They lose sleep over it and yeah. adults struggle with this too. So I don't want to, uh, single out just t- kids and teenagers because I see a lot of adults that struggle with screen addiction as well. And it's very similar to, you know, you get that dopamine, which is similar to, or it's the same chemical in cocaine. So it, it makes sense why there's some addiction happening and um, basic needs are not being met anymore, like proper sleep. It's true. I mean, you, I'll, you know, get in bed and look at my phone. I think I'm just going to look something for a minute. And then by the time I know it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, right? it's <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, how much time is just kind of right. gone by wasted when I should be sleeping. So, and that's, I'm an adult who knows better. Right. So it's very easy to fall into that. And so, very easy. yeah. And so, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about today, it's, it has nothing to do with your chemical, um, your, if you have a chemical imbalance in your brain, it has to do with your mental health and how it's going to affect you and your brain chemistry. Yeah. Like I, I think, you know, what I like about what you're saying is that, you know, we do have some control over a lot of this. Absolutely. You know, it's not just like you said, it's not like, well, this is how we are. This is how we're, you know, we're kind of our, this is our makeup, our DNA, whatever it is. No, we have control. Just like what I said, no, just, I don't need, I should just not do it. Don't put the phone, you know, near my bed or whatever. Right. So we have control over a lot of these things, most Definitely. of it. Uh, but I do want to touch on um, quickly pressure was your last one, because I think yeah. that's a really important. Yes. Yeah, so um, kind of what I was saying with screen addiction and lack of sleep, um, kids today are kind of, they, our culture, our society really promotes that go, 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 fast paced lifestyle. And it is, it is very exhausting and draining for our kids. It's, it's exhausting and draining for adults. And, um, a lot of this, and a lot of this comes from social media too, is the pressure for perfection 
um, that they have within themselves. So there are definitely parents who put a lot of pressure on their kids, but there are also a lot of kids that put a lot of pressure on themselves. And a lot of that, I blame social media for those unrealistic comparisons and then the screen addiction and not getting sleep. And so they're walking around kind of like these zombies exhausted and, you know, fried from being on screens all the time. And they can't live up to the perfection that they are striving for which we know perfectionism is unhealthy because it's the unreachable. And so, um, and so it's created this culture where kids are drowning from it, you know, and they're just, they can't keep up, they can't get a grip. And so I talk to parents a lot about allowing a little bit of mercy and sleep for our kids, allow them to kind of set some boundaries and balance and readjust their lifestyle so that it is not so pressure filled. Yeah, I think that's, I I love what you're saying. And I, you know, I'm an educator, so I'll probably make some enemies, but um, (laughs) I feel, and some kids can handle it. I know kids that have taken, you know, every AP class under the sun. They graduated with a, you know, 5.5 GPA. They also did every sport and every activity and they're great. They did it. They didn't seem to phase them. And they, so there are kids that do it. And I know that um, if kids want to kind of make academics their thing, so to speak, and they just, they're very into it and they're intelligent and they want to take all these hard classes and they can do well. I, I think, you're, I'm impressed. You know, that's, that's a great sure. thing. That's, I'm not, I'm not minimizing that or, 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 you know, belittling that because I think that's, that's great. Um, but I also think that, like you said, the comparison comes into play where, you know, and I've had people ask me, you know, like, oh, well, what AP classes is your kid taking or whatever? Right. And if I say like none right now or one or whatever, it's kind of like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I kind of yeah. feel like they think like I'm a second class citizen or something. And it's like, well, no, yeah, like she could do that, but we chose for whatever reasons not to, or my son is in eighth grade now doing his, we're getting ready to do his freshman schedule, which I can't believe, but and it's kind of like this, I know it's just crazy how we were talking about that before we started recording, just the, the speed of yeah. life and crazy, but just, you know, how, um, you know, his teachers, they have to sign off and approve. So they all approve like all the highest classes for him. And I'm not saying that because like toot toot, I'm saying that because you know, I had some other moms call me and say like, well, same thing. They approved all these. What do we do? They feel like this. And I'm like, you know, you have to do what you know, your kid. Right. But to me, it's like, and I talked to my son about it and said, let's look at what you might really want to take, what you're really interested in. Yeah. I know you're going to be doing sports and some other things. I, you know, there's no reason to be up to one o'clock in the morning, you know? And so we, we just did that balance. And he was like, no, you know, after we talked about it, but he kind of was like, well, I think everybody's taking this. Right. Or, you know, what the class that I'm going to be in then, like, they think the quote unquote regular classes are like, you know, right. if you're not smart. Right. And it's like, no, there's nothing wrong with those classes. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to what's realistic for um, keeping the balance, right? And right. so if, if they're going to lose sleep every single night. I get the occasional study sessions, but every single night, if they are going to have anxiety that is debilitating to them, if they are going to lose social, social, um, opportunities, and they are going to have to stay away from family functions due to this activity, whether it's school or athletics or whatever, um, then there's a lack of balance and that's going to create that unhealthy mental health. 
Yeah. And I think, like you said, the kids will a lot of times put pressure on themselves for sure. And I think parents will feel pressure from society, from social media, from other parents, whatever it may be that, oh, if they're not doing all this or they're not involved in this, you know, this activity or sport or these classes, then oh gosh, you know, I'm not so-and-so. Am I a bad parent? Yeah, I'm a bad parent. Or they're, you know, the neighbor's kids are doing all these things. You know, it's okay. You know, I always tell, you know, I tell my kids like, it's okay. You're still going to be a productive member of society if you, you know. Right. It'll be okay, you know. And I, you know, I was a horrible student. Not that I want to encourage any kids to be bad students. Me too. (laughs) I was a horrible student all through high school, enough to get into college, you know. And then college, I was not that great of a student either, but I did decent enough to get into grad school. Grad school is where I really shined because that's what I was interested in. Exactly the same story for me. Exactly. and, And that's what I tell my clients all the time is, is you are busting your butt to get, you know, all these amazing grades to go to this very prestigious school and your outcome outcome might look the exact same as mine. And I didn't beat myself up along the way, you know? And so it's, everybody has their story. Everybody has their journey. And so I encourage everyone to strive for balance so that it's the healthiest version of themselves. Yep balance and you can readjust and you can look at things, you know, each season, each year, whatever it is and go, okay, let's see what we maybe learned or what we need to change, if anything. Um, So what I know we're not, you're not not gonna be able to get into everything, obviously that you say in the book and that's okay. Cause we want, I want them to read your book, but what kind of, you know, a few pieces of the biggest advice you could kind of give, you know, so we have these things that we just talked about, these six things. So how, what can parents do? What's, what would you, your main advice be? So I would say, you know, my biggest takeaways with my research and my book is that we want to build resiliency and we want to build connection with our kids. So that starts with putting devices down especially um, if our kids are experiencing boredom or emotional distress, we want to create a place where they don't reach through their phone and they struggle through it or they process it in a healthy way like journaling or coping skills rather than just distracting themselves on YouTube. And then connection, and that starts at home. And again, that starts with parents putting their own phone down and modeling that behavior and setting those boundaries so that connection can be made. And parents can, um, what I find is, is hardest for parents is to have a discussion with their child without lecturing. So I try to encourage parents to get to know your child, hang out with them. If they like to play basketball, get your butt outside and shoot some hoops and hang out with them almost the same as you would a friend. You don't sit there and lecture your friend every time you guys get together. Spend time together that is just enjoyable quality time rather than, oh, you know what you should do kind of mindset. Great advice. Great advice. And I think once you do that with your kids, you're going to see just that closeness even happen, you know, even more, um, just getting, getting on their level and doing what they like to do, you know, just like you said, hanging out with them, spending time with them, then they're going to open up and talk to you even more. Yep. For sure. Thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful. Can you please tell us how we can connect with you and find your book and all that good stuff? Yeah. So you guys can go to tessastuckey.com. That's with an E-Y. 
And there you'll find all the information with the book. You can get the book uh, for the sake of our youth off of Amazon or Barnes and Noble and any independent bookstore um, can order it as well for you. And I'm mostly on Instagram. That's where I do a lot of my marketing and daily tips and tricks with parenting. And you can find that uh, at the mom therapist. Great. And you have a podcast as well. Oh yeah, I do. (laughs) is the same title as my book for the sake of our youth where I kind of break down my book and then I have been interviewing other parenting experts or taking in questions from listeners and answering them well thank you so much it was great to have you and yep check her out get the book and find her connect with her um, on Instagram thank you so much thank you bye This episode is sponsored by Montrose Mazda Kent. They go around the world for you. Before you look, call or stop in and talk to Jeremy. Find out more at MazdaKent.com. This episode is also sponsored by Ohio Tuition Trust, helping Ohioans save for college. Learn more at CollegeAdvantage.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at NortheastOhioParent.com, like Apparently Speaking on Facebook, and email me at podcast at NortheastOhioParent.com.